Hey, this is Brian Sorgenfry and the RUF Ole Miss podcast. Hey, always want to give credit where credit's due. Not trying to pull anything on you. I forgot to mention this in the sermon. Uh, much of this uh, talk is deeply indebted to Tim Keller and Ray Cortese, uh, especially. A lot of their stuff very helpful, even some direct quotes. I continue to not have any originality. But just wanted to say that on the front end, enjoy RUF. The, tonight's reading is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and it's on your sheet. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we are here tonight to gather together, to hear your word, to sing praises to you. We ask that you would open our our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to hear what you have to say through this passage and through Brian. Um, I know this week has been crazy and busy for a lot of people, and we pray that that these few moments would be sacred, Lord, and that we could tune out the world and listen to your voice. Uh, I pray that you'd remind us that no matter how far we run, um, we cannot run your love, and no matter what we do, um, it can be redeemed. Your scripture is full of people who, um, who were running from you that you redeemed, and we pray that we would be counted as one of those. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, welcome to RUF, uh, especially if this is your first time. Um, we hope this is a safe place, whether you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember, whether you're trying to figure it out. Uh, or whether you're wondering what's going on, uh, that this is a safe place you can examine the truth claims of the Scripture. Uh, we are walking through the book of Ephesians together and looking at the God who says that He reconciles all things to Himself. He, uh, everything that's broken and fragmented, He heals. Everything that's dirty, He cleans. That's who this God is. And this prayer that we're about to uh, see that Paul gives, this is the key... Really, the foundation to all transformation and reconciliation. But it's also surprising, I think. Um, so I was, uh, I was in the union last night about 4.30, which uh, was like the, the holding cell for, I don't know what else to call it, the holding cell for girls going through, uh, that was a bad call, for going through Rush. And, uh, you know, in between the houses, and uh, so I was sitting with some of my staff, and we were talking, and I heard that uh, you were especially being held up in the ballroom. And so I was about to leave, and I was talking to MD, and I was like, I'm going to go up there. I'm going I'm to check this out. Uh, I was like, can I do that? You know, there's all these rules. And uh, MD said, I don't think anybody's going to confuse you with a sorority girl. I think you're fine. And so thank you, MD. You're right. So I walked up there, and like, I, I'm not making light of any of this, by the way. And you could just feel the tension. You could feel the nervousness, the exhaustion, uh, the fears. And I just imagine, like, what if I had just said, you know, hey, like screamed, I'm a pastor. You just need to know that Jesus loves you. And then walked out. I would never do that because it sounds cheesy. <laughs> and I think if you heard that, you'd say, that's, that's, 
That's kind of impractical. That's not what I really need to know. What I need to know is who likes me, where I'm going to be, who my friends are. But here's what I want you to consider. Paul, in his big prayer for the Ephesian Christians, who are undergoing all kinds of stuff right now, they are being, they're being marginalized, they're being persecuted, some are being killed for their faith. Paul makes no mention of their suffering or circumstances in this prayer. Not that that would have been wrong. What he says is that you need to know that Jesus loves you. And I think we just hear that and we just say, that just sounds so impractical. Like, tell me more. But Paul must assume that knowing the love of Christ is the need behind every other need in your life. It must be the foundational truth upon which everything else is built. That if you miss that, you miss everything else. And so we're just going to look at two things tonight. We're going to look at what Paul's prays for, that he prays for strength in your inner being. And then he prays that you comprehend the love of Christ. First, strengthen the inner being. I don't know how much you were paying attention when the scripture was read by that beautiful hot woman, my wife, who was standing here. Uh, she's probably distracting in her beauty. But if you, if you really stop and reflect, it's odd. Because he, he's, he's talking to Christians. And did you see this? He prays that be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why is that odd to pray for a Christian? Because a Christian, by definition, already has the power of the Spirit in them. A Christian, by definition, has Christ dwelling in their hearts by faith. So why is Paul praying that they would know that? There must be something about this life that we can know something's true about us, and it be fundamentally true, but us not live in the reality of it. Or maybe you could say it must be common for there to be something true about you, but, it, but you not live according to its reality. And we see this in a lot of situations. Uh, Liza and I actually have some friends who've adopted children either out of, out of orphanages or out of the foster system. And a common scenario is this. Like, think about the foster system. They have cycled through many times different sets of guardians or parents. Sometimes those were good, sometimes those were bad, but they just keep cycling through. Well, then at some point, like these friends of ours, adopt that child. At the moment that the judge declares that the adoption is legal and theirs, realize this, at that moment, there's a new truth to that child. He has parents that will never change. He will never rotate parents again. He has parents that love him and, and look out for him. But the reality of that truth beginning to change the functioning reality of the child, it takes a while. Like you'll hear stories about three years into this process, that child, um, that child starts stealing or that child uh, starts doing things because they don't really think that my, my parents are still going to be here. So it's true, but they're learning to live according to that reality. And this is the truth of the Christian life. What is true of you, that Christ dwells in you, that you have the power of Christ, the Spirit at work in you, the forgiveness of Christ is yours. All of it is true by definition if you're in Christ. But it might not have dropped down into the experience level that it begins to control you. You have these things, but those things might not have you. Does that make sense? So you might have full forgiveness in Christ, absolutely all your past, present, future sins washed away by Jesus' death in your place. That's a truth. But your shame may actually still control you. And see, what Paul would say is, you know it, 
but you need to know it. Uh, You may know that the Lord is in control of your life, right? That He's sovereign and He's good and He's running your life. But the anxiety and the panic of the unknown, and I only feel okay if I have my hands on it, it just means the truth hasn't really dropped into my inner being. It's not really controlling me. So I know it, but I also don't really know it. And so Paul's prayer is that what is true of you, Christian, would drop more and more into your experience reality so that you don't just have it, it has you. What he prays is not for a change of outward circumstances, though that's okay to pray for, but inward strength to draw on and live what is according to what is true. Because God's agenda for your life is to change you from the inside out. And I guess what I would first say is, I hope this prayer is comforting. Because that means if, if you are saying, yes, I know these things. The other hand, like, I just, I don't know them. It means you're an ordinary Christian. Paul says, yes, this is what the struggle of the Christian life looks like. You're, you're ordinary. So then, after praying for inward spiritual strength, he prays for the comprehension of the love of Christ. This is verse 17 through 19. Paul asked the Ephesians that the Christians would really grasp, they would move into their inner being, that they could comprehend, this is really interesting, not God's sovereignty, not that have the strength to comprehend the Lord's wisdom or, the, or comprehend the Lord's holiness. Paul centers on one thing, that he would comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding. That's the thing that Paul says we have to know. And so look, on the one hand, if you're a skeptic tonight, if you're trying to figure out Christianity, you probably have a lot of good questions that you're working through. Here's the thought I would add. You will never come to God. You will never entrust yourself to the, to, to the real God until you're convinced that He loves you. That's the key. So I would ask you to listen tonight. Listen, is this God really loving? And if you find yourself thinking like, yeah, that sounds good. I wish that was true. Just stop there. Maybe your wishes are there because it aligns up with reality itself. What if it is true? But second of all, if you are a Christian, in some sense, that does mean that you believe that God loves you. You can't be a Christian without receiving the fact that Jesus loves you. But Paul says you know it, but you don't really know it. That the reality of the love of Christ is what is most needed. And so Paul essentially meditates on the love of Christ for us. That's what we're going to do tonight. Jonathan Edwards, an old theologian, he, he likened it to, he compared it to honey. Where he said, imagine that you're somebody who's who lived in, in some rural place and never tasted honey, but you only, you only had heard about it. So at that point, right, you could, you could research honey, you could talk to people, you maybe even could, could read an article about honey. And you could, you could have a shadow of it out and say, I know that honey is sweet. I've talked to people, people have told me about it, I've read about it, maybe I've even, you know, studied it. But what happens the first time that honey actually touches your tongue? At that moment you would say... This is sweet. But you, you'd say, I now know in a different way, right? Because you tasted it. It went from information only to something inward. And it's interesting that David in the Psalms says, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Paul's saying, do the same with the love of Christ. Taste his love. It's what's most needed to move from information to the controlling thing in your heart. How does that happen? Notice three things. First, it is a work of the Spirit, it's, which means it's not something done by you. It's something done to you and in you by the Holy Spirit. Paul says that, which means the first step is actually to be weak, to be helpless. Your weakness and need is the avenue that God works. Don't run from it. Embrace it. Second of all, Paul is praying, right? So when you hear that it's a work of the Spirit, does that mean that we're just passive? No. Paul prays. Paul's actually writing Scripture right now. And so there's these things that God's given us, word, prayer, the sacraments, which are the things that the Holy Spirit promises to use to get the love of Christ inside of you. And so if you're away from the ordinary means that the Spirit uses those things, you're probably alienating yourself from the experiential love of Christ. But also that means this, whatever you think about Bible reading and prayer and listening, what are those disciplines doing? Like what's the objective of your Bible reading? Paul says this, the objective is to know the love of Christ. Is that what you're looking for? The objective is that your love for Christ increases because you see how much he loves you. That's what's going on in these means of grace. And thirdly, this is key. He says you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. How does the love of Christ come crashing inside of us? Paul's talking about this all the time in Ephesians. He says it's with all the saints. It's rarely done alone. Which means if you're sitting here with little experiential knowledge of the love of Christ, it might be because you're very alone. Right? It should be little wonder that many times we, we suffer spiritual drifting precisely at the same time that we're isolated from other people. That nobody knows what's going on with me. Because a lot of the tangible, experiential love of Christ is experienced in Christian community. That's where it shows up. And so Paul says, first of all, what's needed, or, or see, it's a work of the Spirit. We're not to be passive, and we're to be in relationships with other people. But then he just meditates on this verse. I think my mic went out. Did my mic go? Sorry, I'll yell. He says we need to know the breadth and the the length and the height and the depth. So I'm just going to meditate for the next 15 minutes on what that means and pray that the Spirit grabs our heart with it. So what does the breadth of Christ's love mean? Well, he's probably putting together together ideas uh, that he's already talked about in Ephesians. And the scope of Christ's love is broad, right? It's it's a wide love that encompasses every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every economic class, every ethnic uh, place, every geographic boundary, it overcomes it all. Because all are made one family in Christ Jesus by His blood. That's the scope of His love. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your family lineage, your nationality, your age, fill in the blank. Christ's blood is sufficient. I feel like I've talked about Mabel before, but one of my friends talks about one of the one of the just profound experiences of his life was when he was in seminary, and he had to go visit nursing homes to complete his internship. And one day in that internship, it just 
it sent him to one of the more poor uh, nursing homes, honestly, in the community. Uh, the people who didn't have means went there. And so he wandered into the back one time, uh, and uh, it was just the stinkiest, smelliest, most rundown part of the nursing home. But he had these flowers with him because it, it was Mother's Day. And so he finds this, this older, African-American, blind, kind of disfigured woman. And he hands her... Oh, there it is again. Thank you, Prather. And he hands her a rose. And he says, Happy Mother's Day. And she says, Thank you. Would, you. would you hand this to somebody that would actually be able to see it and appreciate it? Because I'm blind. And when you do, would you tell them that Jesus loves them? So he went around and he did that. And, and my friend said, he went home and he just, her name was Mabel. He said he could never quit thinking about Mabel that week. Because he just always thought about her sitting in this just smelly, isolated, lonely nursing home, blind. And yet she just seemed to have so much joy. So the next Sunday he went back and found her. And, he, and there she was sitting in her bed. And he said, Mabel, I've just got to ask you, like, what do you do all day? And she said, oh, I sit back here and, and I think. I think about Jesus. And my friend who had honestly said, like, when I try to think about Jesus, I can think for maybe like five seconds and then I think about something else. And he's like, what do you think about Jesus? And he said, there was this elderly, blind, disfigured person. And she said this, I just think about how good he's been to me. You know, he's been awfully good to me. Lots of people don't care what I think, but Jesus means the world to me. He said it was just transformative to him. Why? Because he saw someone in a different place, in a different situation, in a different background, and it helped him experience the breadth of Christ's love. And one of the ways the gospel begins to taste sweet is, and you begin to comprehend the breadth of the love of Christ is you get around people that are unlike you. Yes, that can be racially, which we talked about last week, but it also can be age-wise and, and economic-wise. Look, that, this will sound self-serving. My wife just made an announcement about coming to the church to hear, to hear older women talk about grace. Realize, one of, the, one of the college is great. One of the hard things is you're only around 18 to 22-year-olds. And you're missing out on the breadth of God's love. You need to be around people who are facing death. You need to be around people with kids that are starting to understand the grace of God. It'll be good for you. Then uh, Paul talks about the length of God's love. What is the length of Christ's love? We sing about it in RUF, right? Oh, love that will not let me go. It's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. That if you're going to trace how long God has loved you, He loved you before the foundations of the world. And that should just encourage you. Because if you're like me, I, I just, there's just weeks that I just think, this has got to be when Jesus has finally grown tired of me. It's got to be it. Like, I, he's eventually going to kick me out of the family. There's no way I can still be struggling with this. I, and at that point, you've just forgotten the length of Christ's love. His love where you began with him. He set His love on you, not because you were good, not because you were smart, not because you were moral, not even because of your faith, but because of who He is. And if you were dead in your trespasses and sins and He set His love on you, that means He's not going to quit. No matter what's going on in your life, you simply cannot outrun the love of God. 
No matter how weary you are, he will not let you go. You're the dwelling place of Christ. It's permanent. He will never walk out. He'll never move. I had a student uh, years ago when I was at Mississippi State, and he had been converted out of, honestly, a pretty wild lifestyle, drugs, uh, alcohol. And I can remember a a conversation probably a few months after his conversion. And he really, with, with, with trembling humility and some fear, he said, I, I just don't know, Brian. Like, how do I know that in a few months I, I'm not going to go back to my old ways? How do I know that? And I looked at him and I said, well, I guess I can't guarantee it. Honestly, I can't. But I can guarantee you this. If you do go back to those things, I'll still be here for you. And even much more importantly, Christ will be there with you and for you. Because his love will not stop. Your returning to the old ways will not make him quit loving you because it was not your goodness that made him love you anyway. And that's my question. Has the, has the length of Christ's love freed you from being intimidated by your sin? Do you know what I mean? Like is, a lot of stuff comes from a guy named Ray Cortez. But he's only pointed this out. Like if the way that you think about sin... And repentance, it just remains general and generic. You're intimidated by your sin. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just need to be more patient, forgive my lust, I don't pray enough. That, that is fine. Go to God with those things. But could it not mean that you might be intimidated to see the deeper sin in your life? To really acknowledge what's there? Because you think I have to be good for God to like me. But it's just not true. The love of God started in eternity past and will go until eternity future and it's just not based on your goodness or badness. So let it free you to see what's there and begin to be honest and confess it even to other people and you experience the length of this love. And then he talks about the height of the love. What does that mean? Again, Ephesians has been talking about this a lot. Jesus didn't just love you so much that he forgave you. He loves you and it says in Ephesians that you are raised in the heavenlies with him. It's a weird language. But right now, you are united to Christ by faith so that where Christ is, you are, which means you're in the heavenlies right now. In John 17, Jesus prays this, Father, I desire that they, His people, you, whom you've given me, will be with me where I am. He wants you with Him. And you are. Uh, We love every Christmas. We watch Charlie Brown Christmas. Favorite in our house. I never noticed this until a few years ago, but... At, you know, the key climactic scene in Charlie Brown's Christmas, Linus, who always has his blanket, right? That's always his security. He never lets it go. Well, at one point in that movie, he lets the blanket go. You know what it is? It's when he tells, Char- it's when he tells Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about. He starts declaring that there were angels in the field, and so afraid were they. They say, do not be afraid, and he drops his blanket. And maybe, maybe that sounds cheesy, but the reality of Jesus made him drop the, other th- the thing that he was holding on to make his life okay. This is what this is saying. If you're paralyzed in fear tonight, fear of what's next, of what happens, uh, of what may control you, fear of what people think, fear of what might disrupt your life, you're clinging those thing- to those things to make you feel safe. And the height of Christ's love is that he already has you with him. You're in Christ. 
You have all the privileges of the child of the king. You are rich in him. Nothing can be taken from you. He's with you and you're with him. And that has to enable you not to not care about those things, but to hold them with open hands. If you feel threatened by people that are smarter than you, or more athletic than you, or more beautiful than you, or more spiritual than you, then the height of Christ's love needs to be dropped into you. And then lastly, he says the depth of Christ's love. How deep does Christ's love really go? How far down? Again, Paul talks about this earlier in Ephesians, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where Christ meets us with his love. We were hopeless and helpless, and God came down. Try to comprehend the depth of God's love for you. All right. I think this is going to be three weeks in a row. I talked about Harry Potter. I apologize to the like three of you that are losers and have never read this book. Um, but I was reading this article uh, recently about J.K. Rowling, and she was talking about how the farther that she got along in the series of Harry Potter, the more that she felt like Harry was hers. It's really interesting. And she said she would start shedding tears over things that were happening to Harry, which is the character that she's writing, right? But she just said she, he felt like he was mine. Well, and then what's really interesting is a lot of the Harry Potter weirdos out there, like myself, have noted the fact that uh, Hermione, the person who probably deeply cares about Harry, always with him, deep friendship, you know who Hermione's a lot like? J.K. Rowling. Which means there's something that happened in this character where she kind of wrote herself in the story to be with Harry. I just think that's kind of cool. But what the Lord of this universe did in the story that he's writing called Our Lives is he wrote himself into it. Right? 2,000 years ago, in his deep love for us, he comes down. He leaves the riches of heaven, the safety of heaven, and he writes himself into our story by taking on flesh and blood. By walking this broken and sinful world in the person of Jesus, he makes himself vulnerable to pain, to hunger, to thirst, to loneliness, to rejection. But all of that is actually nothing compared to the depth of his love that you see on the cross. No other religion would ever dare say this, but this is the truth. The depths of his love means that he experiences your shame and your guilt on a cross. He descends into hell itself, as the Apostles' Creed says, taking our punishment, the wrath that we deserve for our sin. That's how deep the love of God goes for you. Tim Keller, uh, pastor in New York, talks about how Quite a few times in New York where he's, he's just talked about the reality of hell. He's had someone approach him and say, you know, I appreciate what you said, Pastor Keller, but I don't believe in hell because I believe in a God of love. And look, I admit, hell is hard to think about. There's probably a lot of good questions. But Keller always kindly look at that person and say, okay, do we not measure the depths of someone's love by what it costs them to love you? Right? Someone who gives their life in war and must really love their country. Things like that. And then he says, you tell me, what did it cost your God to love you? Most of them, they say nothing. He says, okay. Hell means the depths of God's love for me is immeasurable. It cost him everything. He gave himself to separation, the wrath of God. He took hell itself so he could be with me. 
As if you're crippled with shame tonight. If you cannot get over things that you've done in college or these first few weeks. There's things that you keep hiding from God and hiding from others. Or there's things you just try to numb by busyness or alcohol or addictions. Look at the depth of Christ's love for you. His eyes are on you. He's not ashamed of you. He took hell itself for you. And so there's nothing that's beyond his reach. And you will not be condemned for anything. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. I don't care what you do tomorrow. You just won't be condemned for it. And look, when I say that kind of stuff, people get scared. People say, Brian, you cannot talk about the grace and love of God like that. Because what people are going to do is think they can do whatever they want. But John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he confronted the same problem as well. Someone said, John, you've got to quit assuring Christians of God's unswerving love for them. Because if they keep hearing that, they will live however they want. You know what John Bunyan said? He said, if I can actually convince people of God's love, then they'll no longer do what they want. They'll do what God wants. That's how love works. It changes you. The love of God really does set you free. And I just want you to consider how the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of God's love brings real security in your life. Because Paul says it roots and grounds you. Look, do you know what, mo- right, you know what motivates Brian Sorgan for us so much of the week? You're about to get insight into the crazy inner workings of, of your campus minister, all right? Here's what I do most of the week. I replay conversations that I had with you over coffee or something like that. And I just think about how I could have said something better, about how I wish I hadn't said that, or how I probably looked dumb saying that. And then if I know that I'm meeting with you, I'm getting right on my secrets, by the way. If I know I'm meeting with you about something uh, something I know we're going to talk about, I like read some articles about it so that I look smart. And then most Wednesdays, I sit in Panera, you can find me there, frantically trying to put together the finishing pieces on this, this, this thing that goes on Wednesday night, because it just... It just has to be perfect. Why do I fret all of those things? Because I love you so much and love Jesus so much. No, I wish that was true. I do love you. I do love Jesus. But really, it's this. I fear that if I say the wrong thing in a conversation with you, or if I fear you ask me a question, I just don't know what to say. If I fear, like, if I, I just fear that if a sermon is terrible on a Wednesday night, I'm scared it's going to blow back on me. And you will think I'm an incompetent minister that has no idea what he's doing. And you know what the truth is? I'm an incompetent minister that has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> but, but when you live like that, what you begin to realize is that criticism and praise do the same thing. It just breeds insecurity. Because criticism reveals what I fear. I'm not as good as I hope. Praise just ramps up the pressure because i got to keep it up. But when the love of God drops, it really does bring security. I mean, who cares about my reputation? Who cares about my performance? I have the deep, wide, long love of God. And that's what I need. And my guess is I'm just not alone in this tonight. I think it's what you most need too. The most fundamental need in your life tonight is not, it's not to get out of depression. It's not for some sin pattern to stop or to start. 
or, 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 or some sin pattern to stop. It's not for your loneliness to stop. It's to know that God loves you in those things deeply. He loves you while you're depressed. He loves you while you're running away from Him. He loves you in your loneliness. And there it is. Paul says that above all else, whatever circumstance, wherever you find yourself, what you need is for the Spirit to strengthen your inner being, to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know it? That's my final question. Are you grasping it a little more tonight? Did you just for a moment get lost, get out of yourself in the truth that Christ really does love you? Because if you did, that's it. That's the base note of joy creeping in. That's the Spirit strengthening you right now. And look, He's not going to stop until He fills you with the fullness of God. Until you become like Jesus. If it's dropping in tonight, maybe you're daring to believe for the first time. Maybe you're being refreshed again. And I just say, keep going with it. It's not going to stop. Paul says the love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. That's beyond, beyond anything that we can think or ask. Look, I can think a lot. I can imagine. How deep is Christ's love for you? It's more than you can imagine. And I can imagine a lot. So don't measure His love by your circumstances. Don't measure His love by your feelings. Measure His love by the cross of Jesus Christ where you see the height, the depth, the length of His love that will never stop. So I'll just end with this story. My friend, um, Ricky Jones, actually tells the story about when he was an RDF intern. He was, uh, he was at this missions conference and um, trying to raise money. And there's another guy who's speaking at this missions conference. And the guy started telling a story that um, he was 65 he saved up a lot of money nearing retirement, and he had just been imagining for five years about what he was going to do with all this retirement money. He's going to buy an RV. He's going to spend the next 10 years traveling out west, fly fishing with his wife, doing all the things they were going to do. But on his way to the RV store, actually, like two days before he's going to retire, his wife started spending time at this local orphanage and had fallen in love with this teenage girl. And she called him. And she had said, we really need to adopt this girl. And he said, but I'm ready to retire. And he said, and you know, she said, it's okay. She's 15. It's only going to be three more years. So he said, okay. Paid the money, adopted her three more years, then I can retire. The problem is she had a best friend who was 12. And she had three younger siblings. And so she said, can we adopt them? And so he said, okay, six more years, nine more years, 12 more years. And he just realized all my business of retirement and RV is gone. And he just thought to himself, what am I going to do as a 64-year-old man with a new five-year-old in my house? This is the story he's telling everybody. And he said, well, I guess I need to build a camp and I need to buy a camp. So he uses his money to basically buy all this land, buy a camp, bring all these counselors in, And he just starts making a day camp for all of his kids. And so Ricky said that he remembers seeing this six-year-old boy who's been adopted for a year, who used to live in an orphanage, and he sees him after the service, and he says, Hey, buddy, I bet it's fun to live at a camp, isn't it? He said, that that boy goes, It's a whole lot better than an orphanage, I'll tell you that. (laughs) And Ricky said he laughed because he realized this. That six-year-old boy has no idea no idea 
the sacrifices that his father made for him. It's going to take that son 40 years before he will just begin to plumb the depths of just what his dad gave up to have him. Do you understand what this is saying? It's going to take 100,000 years to start understanding the depth of God's love for you. What it took for God to get us out of our sin and get us to Himself. You'll just never plumb the depths of it. But that's what He's doing in your life. Doing whatever it takes so that you can walk in the experience of how much He loves you. Do you know that? Let me pray.